Father, we just come before you and ask that you would guide and direct each part of this service and be honored and glorified in it. Help us to be encouraged in the things that are yet to come. And yet, Lord, that we would be challenged to live each day for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you need an outline there, uh, wave your hand. I think there are a few in the back. And we are just continuing our study of uh, eschatology. That is the study of the end time. And we have one major part uh, that we have not yet discussed, and that is the kingdom. Uh, there is much spoken about in the Bible. In fact, if you'll remember, John the Baptist started out by preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. If you read it in the book of Matthew, it says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is in hand. And uh, much has been made about the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and yet there are passages where all agree that they're used interchangeably in the Bible, and there uh, we have to be careful about developing doctrines based on something that the Bible doesn't say. Uh, I've read in many books over the years, the Gospel of Matthew was written to the Jews. Could anybody find me a verse where it says that? And, of course, Mark was written to the Gentiles. Could anybody find me a verse that says that? And uh, then uh, 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 Mark pictured, and, and yes, we do understand that the four Gospels present four different pictures. Matthew, the Jewish Messiah. Mark, the suffering servant. Uh, Luke uh, presents him as the Savior of the world. And, 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 and John, or John presents him as the Savior of the world. And Luke uh, presents him as uh, Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the prophecies to the Gentile world. And as we look at those pictures, we see and we understand. But, but I want to be careful. It's just like the seven churches in the book of Revelation. They say these, uh, these seven churches are the seven different seven, uh, church ages. Well, the only problem is there are no two commentaries that have the ages coming in at the same time. Uh, therefore, it, that, that in itself tells us there's no definitive answer there. Therefore, we're just not going to go there. Uh, we do believe that there uh, are some differences a as it is used uh, in the Bible, and there's certainly a reason, but let's just look here uh, at the different kingdoms that are mentioned in the Bible. And, of course, this is kind of a strange place to start in the book of Second Chronicles with a man who was... Uh, um, how shall we say this? Uh, uh, we have scant hope of meeting him on the right side of eternity. Uh, and this is uh, 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 Abijah, the son of Rehoboam, the grandson of Solomon. And as Jeroboam is uh, fighting against Abijah, look at verse 5. Abijah uh, says, Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom of Israel to David? Now, what's those next two words? Forever. Now, where did the grandson of Solomon, the great-grandson of David, get this idea that the kingdom of David would go on Forever. I mean, Isaiah was not going to be born for several hundred years at this point. Uh, yet, as David was talking to his prophet about building the temple, God said, you're not going to build the temple. Your son is going to build that temple. If he will follow me, there shall never want a son of David to sit on the throne. Now, we know that Solomon, David's own son, worshipped false gods. And God said, I am going to destroy Jerusalem. 
and I am going to destroy this temple. That was something that did not come into the mind and heart of the Jewish people, that that was even a possibility. Yet the temple was rebuilt with Zerubbabel and Shelthiel and the prophecy of Zechariah and Haggai and the kingdom uh, was reestablished, though it was not a kingdom with the son of David sitting on the throne. Uh, the land of Israel was re-inhabited. The temple was rebuilt. The city was rebuilt under Nehemiah. And that continued as a state or as a, uh, a subdivision of the Persian Empire and later the uh, Greek Empire and later the Roman Empire had noted that it was an area there. And Jesus walked in the temple that had been rebuilt and the disciples said, as Jesus prophesied about the destruction of the temple, when is the temple going to be destroyed and when's the end of the world? Because they put these things together. Now, we know that the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., uh, a scant 30-some years from the time Jesus walked the face of this earth, and it is still destroyed unto this day, nearly 2,000 years later. But for the prophecies in the Scriptures to be fulfilled, the temple is going to be rebuilt. There's only one problem. How many know what sits on the temple mount? the Dome of the Rock, the third most holy place uh, in the religion of Islam. And why Islam claims that Jerusalem is there is because somewhere around 900 A.D., uh, the followers of Islam built a mosque on the Temple Mount. Now, there was a reason why they did that. is because they didn't want the Jews putting their temple back on the Temple Mount. And they put a cemetery outside the eastern gate of Jerusalem and they walled up the eastern gate and stoned it up so that when the Messiah came through that they would know about it. Because the cemetery would have to be dug up and moved and the stone walls there would have to be broken down. The only problem was they were several centuries too late because Jesus already came through the eastern gate at the end of the 69th week of Daniel. And so, we're waiting for things to happen. And we need to understand a little bit about this kingdom. The kingdom of David is a kingdom that is everlasting. How many of you remember um, Isaiah's prophecy? Uh, let's just look there. Uh, every time I read this verse, I hear Handel's Messiah playing in my head. And uh, I, I love it. I'm just glad that I'm not going to try to uh, 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 sing it before you. That would be rather embarrassing for all concerned. But it says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And by the way, if you ever have the opportunity to witness to someone that's of a Jewish heritage and they want to argue with you, how can God have a son? Take them right here to Isaiah. It says this in the Hebrew Scripture. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name is the Everlasting Father. Now, how does that work? I'll tell you how it works. Because Jesus is God. That, that's how it works. 
And Jesus is the fulfillment. And in Luke chapter 1, as, as the prophecies were told about Jesus' birth, it says, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now, we have yet to see. There has not been a son of David sitting on the throne of David since 604 B.C. Right in that neighborhood there was when Nebuchadnezzar came in. And there, then there were several vassal kings after him. The son of Josiah only reigned for a very short time. Uh, Pharaoh Necho came in, put a king in place. Then Nebuchadnezzar scared the Pharaoh out and put his own kings in place. Finally, Zedekiah rebels several years later. Uh, and the uh, Jerusalem is raised and burnt and destroyed. And there has not been anyone sit upon that throne claiming to be a son of David since those days. And yet, we read in Isaiah chapter 11 that when the kingdom is come, the lion's going to lie down with the lamb. The poisonous snake is not going to be poisonous anymore. Uh, the the uh, baby bear and the and the baby sheep and all of that are all going to be together and a child is going to lead them. Uh, I'm looking forward to those days. Because if a little kid can go up to a big lion and lead him around, that means if I have a break, I'll be able to do the same thing. I've always just wanted to get close to one of those things and pet it. Uh, they say that the big lions actually purr like the little kittens do. It's just louder. And uh, that, that would be fun. But uh, don't try that till the kingdom comes. Amen? Uh, otherwise, you could be in quite a bit of danger. And, and so we have not seen that happening. The kingdom of David is yet future. We go to Revelation chapter 20, and, and there's one verse. And, of course, all the critics, they like to say there's only one verse in there. And, and and you just misunderstand that verse. Well, look at verse 4 of chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark his mark in their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So this is talking about those specifically who die during that tribulation period for the testimony of Jesus Christ. For the fact that they believe in him. And it's interesting. Uh, the old movie makers back in the 70s when I was a kid. Every time that they talked about the tribulation period and people being beheaded. Their only point of historical reference was the French Revolution. And so they talked about the guillotine and bringing the guillotine back. But uh, let me ask you a question. Do we have a new historical point of beheading to talk about today? With the violence of ISIS and the, uh, the Muslim uh, jihadist who behead people and burn them and do these horrible things. Uh, let, me, let me tell you something. When it happens, it's going to happen just the way the Bible says. Not the way you think it is. We don't have to go back to the French Revolution. Uh, we've got plenty of stuff going on today. Many precedents being set. And the Bible teaches us that when Antichrist takes the kingdom, all of the religions of the world are going to bow at his feet. Islam is talking about the, uh, I can't remember what number it is, but the last imam. I think it's either 12, I think it's the 12th imam, the last imam. And uh, I will tell you that if things are correct, that that last imam and the Antichrist of our Bible is the same one. 
And they're going to follow him and defend him. And as somber as that is, there's not a one of us in this auditorium that has any problems making a connection there. When he shows up, they're going to believe him. He is going to bring peace because not only will the Jewish people as peoples accept him as their Messiah, Islam will accept him as their imam and all of the Christians that are not saved that are on this earth will accept him as their quote-unquote savior. Only we understand that from the study of the book of Revelation, he's not going to do much saving. In fact, somewhere between one half and two thirds of the world's population is going to disappear and is going to die in seven years. That is unprecedented. With the exception of Cain, who killed one quarter of the world's population, but he only had to come up with one corpus to do that. Um, and so, as we look at this thing, we have this thousand year kingdom of Christ. At the end of this kingdom, will be the second death, the final judgment of God, and we will go into a time that we call eternity future. The reason we call it is eternity future is because it says, and, it, and they shall reign with him forever and ever. It's not, and they shall live happily ever after, as the fairy tales do, but that this is going to go on in perpetuity. And we have one thing that we haven't talked much about, and that is the New Jerusalem. And I'd like you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. And we got a lot of verses here to look up and to put together here. But in verse 1, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now, I'll tell you what, we read these verses. And I don't know about you, but there's part of me that is looking forward to those things. That that the former things are passed away. There'll be a new heaven. There'll be a new earth. There'll be no more sea. There's no way that you can get on a boat or any type of... And be separated from other people on the earth. We're all going to be together. That's what it means. And there's where the tears are going to be wiped away and no more death and no more pain, no more sorrowing. Many beautiful songs have been written about this subject. But that's after the second death. That is after God's judgment of the unsaved dead is completed. Now, we learn a few things about this. It says that the New Jerusalem is adorned as a bride for her husband. And we come down to um, uh, verse 9. It says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And we'll stop right there. Now, over the years, some of you may have heard this term. It's, uh, the term is Baptist brighter. How many have heard that term? Uh, some of you may have, and uh, 
And uh, I, I will let you know that many accuse me of being a Baptist brighter, and I want to tell you that I am uh, not. I don't believe that you have to be a member of a Baptist church to go to heaven. I never have and never will believe that. There are some people out there that do. Uh, they believe that unless you're baptized by water in a Baptist church, you will have no part in the bride of Christ. Now, here's the reason why I don't believe that. Because I want you to look at verse 12. This is talking about the new Jerusalem. We've been introduced to the bride. John has seen her. She is the city, the new Jerusalem. In verse 12, it says, And it had a great wall and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and the, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. So on those twelve gates, those are the pearly gates that you hear about in all the songs. He, the pearly gates, will open there in the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is the bride, and on those twelve gates are written the twelve names of the twelve tribes of Israel. So, what does that tell us? Who is going to be in the new Jerusalem, the bride? The saved of Israel. Now, just so we don't make any mistakes here, how do you become part of the saved of Israel? Someone says, well, by keeping the Ten Commandments and the sacrifices. Well, let me ask you a question. How many sacrifices did Daniel offer as he was a captive in Babylon? None. But how many of you believe that Daniel, the prophet of God, the man of God, is part of the saved of Israel? Would you just raise your hands? Okay, if you don't see me afterwards, we need to talk. Amen? I mean, there's a problem there. And so, when you hear someone teaching that people were saved by sacrifices in the Old Testament and were saved by faith in the New Testament, uh, they're wrong. Because you're saved by faith. From Adam to the last man that ever lives. But faith is always in response to the revealed will of God. That's why we call ourselves dispensational. Because we believe that God dealt in a progressive revelation that he did not give everything. Abel, all he needed to do was offer a blood sacrifice. He died for that sacrifice. But the Bible says that he, being dead, yet speaks. Why? Because Abel had faith. David offered sacrifices not in the temple and not in the tabernacle because the tabernacle was taken down. Parts of it were in um, Shiloh in David's day. The Ark of the Covenant was actually in Jerusalem. And uh, they said that we didn't seek it at all during the days of Saul. And then Solomon built the temple. And we hear all kinds of horrible things happening with the house of Eli and different things during the time of Judges. So it was not just a continual set thing, but there were always people that had faith in God. And so we have these 12 tribes of Israel. And their names are written on the pearly gates. And this pearly gates are on the city that is the bride of Christ. Now, let's skip down to verse 14. And the wall of that city had twelve foundations. And in them, the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Uh Uh-oh. Now, How many times have you heard me say, Israel is not the church, and the church is not Israel, and all God's people said, that's true. They're not the same. But guess what? They're going to be in the same city. 
and they're going to be citizens of one city, and they're going to both be part of that bride. That's why I don't believe in a Baptist bride, because the Old Testament saints, Israel, is going to be there. Because their names are written on the gates. But the twelve apostles of the Lamb are written on the foundations of the city, telling us that those that are saved and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And by the way, let's just try to clear this up a little bit. You see, I can't answer for everyone that has ever lived. But I know enough about my Bible, and I believe that I've taught this fairly clearly over the years, that if you are truly saved, you will desire to be truly baptized and be a member of a church that believes, like ours, which would be a Baptist church. I'm fairly serious about that. You say, well, how can you make that statement? Well, um, we can make that statement based on history. Because we have the writings of the apostles, and we believe them. We have the writings of people who lived in the 1st and 2nd and 3rd and 5th and 10th and 11th and 12th. Every century since the time of the apostles, and we can find people who echoed those simple truths that we call Baptist distinctives. Those Baptist distinctives are the authority of the Word of God. Salvation by grace through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's taught in the Bible. We can read that Justin Martyr, that Polycarp, who Polycarp lived about 150 A.D. He was one of the disciples of John who wrote the book of Revelation. He believed these things. We can read uh, people who lived in 250 and 300, and we can read about people who lived in 500 and 800 and 1300 and 1400 and uh, 1990 and 2014 that believed the same thing. And those same people that believed in the authority of the Word of God and salvation by grace through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ also believed that you ought to be immersed in water in testimony of your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what makes us Baptist. In fact, if you read old history books, they will use the word pedio-baptist. Now, uh, what that means is baby baptizers. Uh, there was no such thing as a pedio-baptist or a baby baptizer before 400 A.D. No one baptized babies before then. Uh, By the way, in England, in the 1580s, they were still arguing about how you baptize babies. Whether you should immerse them like the Orthodox do or sprinkle water on them like the Pope in Rome said. And England, they decided since it's cold in the wintertime and you will die if you take a bath before April when the spring sun comes out. Do it, all right? It's winter, but take a bath anyway, amen? Uh, and they said, okay, we can sprinkle. Now, what were they doing? They were changing the Word of God. You know what believers in Jesus Christ did? And said, if it's too cold to get baptized in the winter, we'll just wait until the ice thaws and get baptized in the spring. Because it's a testimony. Why does the truth make so much sense versus all the ridiculous reasons people give for not obeying the truth? And so, we believe that those that are included in the apostles of the Lamb hold those simple truths. Does that mean that we agree with everybody on everything? No. Many of the Anabaptists in the Middle Ages were what we would call pacifist. They believed that if And taught that if someone came into your house and started breaking up your house and threatening to kill your wife and children, that you were to sit there and pray and let them do it. Now, if you had a choice between fighting for the Pope or fighting for the Patriarch, 
of Constantinople, what would your choice be? I shall fight for neither. Well, that makes you a pacifist now, doesn't it? You see, that's how time and circumstances and culture change people's understanding. By the way, contrary to popular belief, many of our Anabaptist forebearers were great soldiers and tried to defend themselves. Uh, the Baptists or the Waldensians of the Piedmont area took the strongest armies that the pontiff had to offer and slaughtered them one after another until one of their own betrayed them. It was an amazing, amazing story written in the blood of people who simply wanted to be free. The apostles of the Lamb. They're in that city. By the way, who else is in that city? We've already read about them. They're going to rule and reign with Christ forever, those that died during the tribulation period. All of these are going to be brought together in this place called the New Jerusalem. And by the way, let's skip down to verse 22 of chapter 21. And I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Uh, Does that sound like we worship the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament for that God is one? Amen? Because we have the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, and they are the temple of it. And uh, let's uh, look here in verse 24. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth uh, do bring their glory and honor into it. Uh, So, uh, guess what? We've got another group now. We've got those that survived the tribulation and choose to trust in Jesus as their personal Savior, having entrance to that city. Boy, that really messes up an awful lot of theology, doesn't it? But the city is the bride. And those who are in the city are part of the bride. And therefore, I believe that we can honestly say that in that city are going to be those that have had faith in God from the days of Abel until the, uh, after the tribulation period are going to be in that city. Uh, I've heard people preach about, well, Israel is the bride of God the Father and, and uh, uh, the church is the bride of Christ and, and the tribulation saints are the bride of the Holy Spirit. I'm sitting here going... You know, that sounds to me like the preacher that said, I pray to God the Father, and then I pray a little bit to Jesus, and then I pray a little bit to the Holy Spirit. You know what the Bible says? Jesus said, you pray to the Father in my name under the direction of the Holy Spirit, because there is only one God. And I want to challenge you today that there is only one bride, and there is only one groom. And that groom is the Lamb. That groom is the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's uh, look here. It says in verse 1 of chapter 22, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, this is a tough one. Where is the throne of God and the Lamb? There the temple of the New Jerusalem. Where is the New Jerusalem? As far as we understand, the New Jerusalem is descending from heaven to the earth. And so, if you would allow my imagination to run a little bit amok here, and I'm not trying to say this is definitive, but if we have the river running out of the throne of God, then we have a waterfall coming from the New Jerusalem and dropping down to the earth. Unless the New Jerusalem is actually makes contact with the earth, and we don't know. We just don't know. But we do know that that river of life is spoken of in the book of Ezekiel, and it's going to flow down out of the mountain of Jerusalem, which the entire area is going to be a flat plain, and that water is going to run down 
and become a mighty river and fill up the Dead Sea. And during that thousand-year kingdom, they're going to fish in the Dead Sea. Now, that's going to be a miracle because it won't be dead anymore. It'll be full of life because wherever God is, He brings life. Amen? And so the reason why... And let's just touch this here. And and, uh, verse 3, And there shall be no more curse. Does that sound like the kingdom that God promised to Israel in Isaiah chapter 11 where the lion and the lamb will lay down together and there'll be no more poisonous snakes and all of those things? Uh, I believe this is what it's talking about here. And we get down to verse 5 and it says, And they shall reign forever and ever. And what we have here, and I get to the possibility is, John chapter 11, what did the wicked Caiaphas prophesy? That Jesus would gather together in one all the children of God. And they said, we got to kill him. Because there won't be any more Jew. If everybody's together, there won't be any more Jews. We'll be just like everybody else. And so we got to get rid of this Jesus. That was their reasoning. But... Jesus said, when he stood before Pilate, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, he said, my servants would fight for it. He said, what about his kingdom? He said, I've come to bear witness of the truth. All that have the truth, hear me. What was Pilate's answer? What is truth? You see, Pilate was a politician. Truth was moldable. I just love what comes out of Congress. I mean, now that the Republicans are taking over, uh, they are going to, uh, instead of having uh, the uh, budget numbers just made up as if they weren't related to any other part of the budget, they are now going to, static was the numbers, they're now going to be dynamic. And uh, what that means is that they are going to be related to other parts of the budget. Now, how many of you know what a budget cut is in Washington? A budget cut is when we don't spend as much more than we did the year before. So if last year we had a 12% increase and this year we only have a 6% increase, that is a budget cut. Don't try this at home. Because you will go to jail. (laughs) You see, they make all this stuff up. But Jesus said, my kingdom is a kingdom of truth. You know what? Truth cannot be molded. Truth cannot be changed. And by the way, We preach the same message of salvation that Jesus preached, that the disciples preached on the day of Pentecost. We preach the same message. We use the same words. We mean the same things that they did. We baptize the same way. That's our connection. Our connection is not a genealogical connection that I was ordained at the Cleveland Baptist Church, and they were from the Akron Baptist Temple, and he came from some church in Kentucky, which came from a church in Tennessee, which came from a church in Philadelphia, which came from a church in England, which came from a church in... uh, Forget it. There There are people who live that way. Those are the people we call the Baptist Briders. I don't believe I need a genealogy to prove that I'm teaching the truth when I can hold up a Bible and say, go home and check it out for yourself. You see, I have a responsibility as a preacher of the gospel to be sent out from a church that teaches the truth. Most of you heard Brother Thompson preach, if you've been around here long enough, before he went home to be with the Lord. Uh, I think Brother Thompson qualified as a preacher of the truth. Amen. And uh, that's all the farther 
I believe I need to go. I have the responsibility to make sure that I'm sent out of a church that teaches the truth. Guess what? Brother Thompson had that responsibility, and he was. And his preacher before him had that responsibility, and he was. Guess what? I'm not going to trace the genealogy. I'm going to spend my time preaching the Word of God. Everything about the New Jerusalem fulfills everything in the Bible that's said about the eternal kingdom that goes to Israel. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to teach that there is or is not a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven because I believe that they're all consummated right here in the New Jerusalem. And that the kingdom will last a thousand years here on earth, but the New Jerusalem is going to be eternal and going on into eternity. And so, what we have here is a scope and sequence of prophecy. If we understand things correctly, we have many things that could happen at the same time. We believe that the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation, when the prince of the people that shall come will renew the covenant with Israel. And there is a possibility, though we do not know and we cannot know, that the battle of Magog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39 could all be happening at exactly the same time. Right as the tribulation begins, most people think that the battle of Gog and Magog will happen at the middle of the tribulation as Antichrist sets up his kingdom for the three and a half years. Uh, we, we just don't know. Uh, the abomination of desolation is going to happen at the midpoint of the tribulation. The Bible is very clear about that. That the temple will be rebuilt and that the temple will be desecrated. At that point, Israel, as a nation, as a people, will wake up. And they will understand that all through history, there could only be one Messiah. And that is Jesus Christ that we believe in. And Israel will be brought back to God. And they will be persecuted by the Antichrist. The tribulation period, that seven-year period of God's wrath, ends with the battle of Armageddon. And God sets up his kingdom for a thousand years. You say, when does the new Jerusalem show up? Uh, I don't know. You see, the river of life and the healing of the Dead Sea, that's all going to happen during that thousand-year rule and reign of Christ. The trees, the leaves of the trees of life that's going to be on both sides and in the midst of the river of life all at the same time. And if you understand that, I can't wait to see what it looks like. Because there's just nothing that comes in my mind other than the tree being so large that it grows uh, in the middle of the river and down the sides of the river all at the same time. But it says the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, my best understanding is during the, uh, during the thousand-year rule and reign of Christ, are the nations going to need to be healed? Yeah. That's where the healing of the nations is going to happen. So, I'm not going to be dogmatic. I don't know. But it appears that the New Jerusalem will be there. During this thousand year reign, the, the, the thousand years will be talking about the time on earth that it continues. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth after the thousand year reign of Christ. All judgment will be finished and we will go into a time period called eternity future. And someone says, what's going to happen? Read Revelation 4 and 5. We're going to worship the King. We're going to live in the new Jerusalem as the bride of Christ. And Ephesians chapter 2 says that in the ages to come, he can show the riches of his grace, of his kindness to us. Eternity 
is going to be spent putting lives on display, saying, here's what God did. Abel, here's what God did. In spite of the anger and the animosity of his brother, Abel said, I'm going to worship God, God's way. When Abel threatened him with death, he said, I'd rather die than be disobedient to God. And he died. You know what? God gave Abel grace to be faithful to the end. Amen? We're going to find out what happened to all of those people during the Middle Ages. Guess what we're going to know when we get to heaven? As we hear the stories, you see, we cannot make connections for vast time periods of history. We just don't know what happened. The records are not there. Well, guess what? As God tells us what happened in the first century and the second century and the third century and the fourth, guess what we're going to see? We're going to see God's hand of redemption from the days of Abel until the last saint that is saved in the tribulation period. We're going to see the whole history. As one preacher put it, we'll see the crimson thread of God's redemption from beginning to end. And when it's all said and done, and when each story is told, those four mighty beasts are going to cry, Holy, 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 and everyone that's there is going to fall down and cast their crowns before his feet and worship him that sits on the throne. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty cool. That is such a horrible word to use. It is far above all that we could ask or think. To be allowed in the presence of God. Just to be allowed in His presence. But to actually be able to bring worship before His throne in spite of who and what we are. Is that not the theme of all the Bible? That God has sought for Himself a people that would simply recognize Him as God and worship Him as God. And so that is the theme of all history. And that is the theme of prophecy of things yet to come. We could be wrong about certain things. But I don't think we can be too wrong about the kingdom. We can't be too wrong about the tribulation period because there's so much that the book of Revelation says. This is going to happen here and here and here and here. And all these people are going to die. It hasn't happened yet, so that still must be future. The abomination of desolation means the temple will be rebuilt. Do you know that at the turn of the last century in the early 1900s, there was a preacher that came out and really started preaching that Israel would become a nation and that the temple would be rebuilt. His name was Clarence Larkin. And just because he was incredibly right about this when everybody else was wrong doesn't mean he's incredibly right about everything. Uh, he says in eternity future, God's going to put us all on different planets all throughout the universe and we're going to people the universe. Uh, Sounds a little Mormon to me. Uh, just not going there. But let me tell you, Mr. Larkin was far-seeing. Everybody laughed at him and cursed him and said he was so foolish. There will never be another people called Israel, nation of Israel in the land of Israel. All of a sudden, in 1948, everybody went out and bought his books and did everything but fall down and worship the guy. You know what he did? He just took the Scripture at its word. 
Daniel said that the words of this book would be sealed until the last time. That's why I argue against people when they say, well, 400 years ago they didn't believe in, in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, but that's not the, 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 the prophecy was sealed until the end time. We should see a difference in our understanding in these last days than they had 500 years ago. How could we understand that everyone on the face of the earth would see the two witnesses dead in the city of Jerusalem before satellites and television and internet and computers? See, things that make no sense at all, we can see happening and being described in the book of Revelation. A mountain of burning fire, poisoning water. Does anybody have any problems understanding? That has happened. It happened at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. As a mountain of burning fire consumed those cities and poisoned all the water for hundreds of, uh, not hundreds, but miles and miles around. And people drank that water and were killed. Uh, that's what it says is going to happen in the book of Revelation. Does God need a nuclear weapon to do that? No. He could do it in many ways. All I'm trying to tell you is we can read these things and understand how they could happen. Someone who lived a hundred years ago had no idea what was going on. It's amazing that a man that lived over a hundred years ago published a book that Israel would become a nation again. And they did. Why? Because Israel had to become, has to become a nation for the temple to be rebuilt. And the temple to be rebuilt has to happen for the abomination of desolation to happen. I mean, it's just believing the Bible. Now, if we'll get as serious as we do about prophecy, about the commands that he gives us each and every day, then we'll be waiting for him when he comes. Amen? That's what the prophecy is supposed to do. It is to encourage us to serve him according to the word of God. Each and every day till he comes to get us. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father we come before you. And we ask that you would encourage us. Through your word. And Lord that we would. As the Bible tells us we ought to. Look forward to these things. That are yet to come. But Lord we ask that you would encourage us. To be obedient to your word. To confess our sins. And to walk with you each day. Till you come. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just have the piano play. If you need to pray, 